please join me in reading the litany of invitation and confession. Let us rejoice in the freedom of God. God's freedom calls us for an ever-changing reformation. God's freedom invites us to intimacy with God. God's freedom contains action and responsibility and relationship. Let us bask in God's freedom and let us find the courage to live into God's freedom by speaking the truth, forgiving ourselves and others, and by loving one another. We confess that God's freedom is both liberating and demanding. We confess that we have not loved God, our neighbors, our enemies, or ourselves, as Christ has commanded. We ask for God's forgiveness. Sisters and brothers, we are forgiven. Live fully in the grace of God. We lift our voices in gratitude and in praise to God. Welcome to the worship of God on this Lord's Day. It is good to be together as God's people, especially are we glad if you're a guest, a visitor here today, that you've joined uh, in with us for worship. There is on the edge of your order of worship a response card. It's a place where you, as a guest, can put your name. It'll help me connect name and face with you. Drop that in the offering plate when it's passed. But also for any of us who want to make a prayer request, it's an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for one another by name and by need every week. So place that request on that card and drop that in the offering plate as well. There are three scriptures that we will hear today. From the first and the third, I will be preaching, especially the first one, which is Moses on Mount Nebo, looking to the promised land but not yet being able to get there. That plus the gospel lesson will form kind of the basis of my, my uh, uh, sermon for today. Uh, you know, I'd find that word. <laughs> the sermon for today on Reformation Sunday. I believe it's Will that's going to be reading the uh, epistle lesson. And it's the story of uh, Martin Luther's favorite text where he says, And the just, the righteous shall live by faith. You'll see on the front page of your order of worship on this Reformation Sunday a copy of our Reformation window, which is right there. The 95 theses, the talking points are stacked there on the Castle Church door. That is the Luther Herald Rose. Beneath that, the hand and the heart are a symbol of Calvin. And then this uh, martyr at the stake is John Huss. You'll see the printing press that made a lot of the Reformation uh, palatable to the, the masses, and that's the story. 
we're going to be looking at the Reformation today. One other thing. Uh, there's going to be a dramatic reading in the service, and it will be done by Don Janney, and it will be done in German. In German. So, Dr. Radar, be ordered if you would listen to make sure that Don Janney reads it in German correctly. All right. Um, it's that famous scene where it's called the Diet of Worms, the assembly of this council and trial of Martin Luther in 1521. And there with Frederick III, it's a very tense scene. Uh, some of the church officials are there. They're usually judging and dressed in red. Do we have anybody judging and dressed? Well, the choir is uh, ready for that. And so they will be sitting to listen. There were some of the public gathered around who were cheering Martin Luther on. And so that's what you can be. And in between will be Martin Luther reading in German, uh, which Don Janney will do. When we finish with that great line at the end, we will then stand and sing mightily, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. So let us open our hearts as well as our ears as we experience God today. Welcome. Moses was allowed to see into the promised land, but he was not allowed to enter it. A reading from the book of Deuteronomy. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, where, which is opposite of Jericho. And the Lord showed, showed him the whole land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh. All the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, the Najeb and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zor. The Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab. At the Lord's command, he was buried in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired, and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. And the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders of the Lord sent to him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land. And for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of Israel. Here ends the first lesson. Let's pray together. Loving God, you have called us to live, you have called us to serve, and you have called us to be kingdom people. Let us love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, before the mountains were brought forth and before the earth and seas were created, you were and are God. You make us like grass that flourishes in the morning 
and fades in the evening. You restore us with your blessings and heal us with your favor. God, we struggle to love our neighbors, and we find it far too easy to love ourselves. We ask for patience. We all have deep wounds. We ask that you nurture us in your healing love so that our fears will not have a hold on us. And on this Reformation Sunday, remind us of the words that you taught us to pray, saying boldly, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory. The grace of God flows through many sources. The gospel is for all. And relationship with God comes through faith. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Romans. Romans 1, 11 through 17. For I am longing to see you so that I may share with you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Or rather, so that we may be encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers and sisters that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as I have among the rest of the Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both the wise and the foolish. Hence my eagerness to proclaim the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith, as it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. Here ends the second lesson. Girls and boys, you can join us at the front. and take a seat. And Pastor Daniel, take your offering. How are all of you? Are you good? Good. So, how many of you like to read? Yeah? Yeah? Do you like to read... Um, and memorize things? Do you know what memorize means? means that it's all up here. Yeah. Like remember something. Yeah, so you read it and then you remember it later without looking at it. Well, in our story today, there's a group of people called the Pharisees. And they had a very important job. They had to read all of this. All this, this these pages in the Bible. Their job was to read them and memorize them. 
How long do you think it would take to read this? Twenty hours, twenty hundred years. So if you work, maybe if you worked hard enough, it could take you just two hours. Well, these people spent their entire lives reading this and memorizing this. Do you think if you read this many pages, you would have questions? Yeah, probably. And the the people who read this did. They had lots of questions. And one of the questions that they had was for Jesus. And they said, Jesus, they were actually trying to stump him. They were trying to see if he knew everything about all of this. They said, Jesus, what is the most important thing in the Bible? And Jesus said, it's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all of your strength. That's all that you need to, if if you take away anything from the Bible, that is the most important thing to take away. And that's so great for us, too, because this is kind of crazy to think about how big it is and how many pages there are in it. But we can remember that the most important thing that Jesus wants us to know about this is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength, okay? So even when the Bible is confusing and you ask lots of questions, you can remember that. All right, let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for giving us the Bible and thank you for allowing us to ask questions and wonder. God, help us to love you with all of our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and all of our strength. In your name we pray. Amen. In 1520, Pope Leo X issued a bull of excommunication against Martin Luther. On the first day of his appearance at the conference in Worms in April of 1521, Luther was asked whether he acknowledged authorship of a list of his works that had been determined to be in error. Luther did acknowledge authorship of the works, and he was then asked whether he was willing to recant the errors allegedly contained in them. Unwilling to answer impulsively, Luther asked for 24 hours in which to deliberate his response. That request was granted. On the following day, the examination reconvened in the presence of the emperor and the assembled princes and nobles of the Holy Roman Empire. Luther was interrogated by Johann von Ecken, who was an administrative official for the Archbishop of Trier. Luther did not compose his remarks for reading from a manuscript, but spoke impromptu. Here is the concluding portion of Luther's remarks as spoken in German. 
Weil denn euer Majestät und die Herrschaften eine einfache Antwort begehren, so will ich eine geben, die weder Höhne noch Zähne hat. Wenn ich nicht durch Schriftzeugnisse oder helle Gründe würde überwunden werden, denn ich glaube weder dem Papst noch den Kanzlerin allein, weil versteht, dass sie öfter geirrt und sich selbst widersprochen haben, so bin ich überwunden durch die von mir angeführten Schriften und meine Gewissen gefangen in Gottes Worten. Widerrufen kann ich nichts und will ich nichts, weil weder das Gewissen zu handeln beschwerlich und sicher und nicht lauter ist. And the concluding line, which may not have actually been spoken at the time, but added in subsequent publications of the speech, Luther is to have said, Here stehe ich, ich kann nicht anders, Gott helfe mir. Amen.
Jesus cites that love is the greatest commandment toward God, neighbor, and yourself. A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The Gospel of the Lord. And my thanks be to Don Janney for his reading of the uh, German text. Uh, uh, Bruce Dick is going to be speaking to our church in a little bit, reminding us that it's time to begin the pledge campaign for 2018. I think there should be two warnings. One is, if you don't turn your pledge card in on time, you will be reading in German next year. We'll call on you. Or the second thing is, you'll be called on to do the Time with the Children children's sermon. So, that's motivation to be in on time and early. Reformation Sunday has become a favorite of mine, not because I'm a history buff, but because I'm a history beneficiary. I stand on the shoulders of those in the past. And in my preparation for this Reformation Sunday sermon, I had a new insight read an article that was quoted by Phyllis Tickle, who is an Episcopal scholar, writer. She's taught at Rhodes College. She's taught at Furman and with Publishers Weekly. But she often quoted uh, Anglican Bishop Mark Dyer, who had this quotation. Here it is. He says, Every 500 years, the church feels compelled to hold a giant rummage sale. It is when the empowered structures of institutionalized Christianity have become an intolerable ectoskeleton or carapace, which is a turtle's shell, ectoskeleton. And when this happens, it must be shattered in order that renewal and new growth may occur. Let me give you that again. Every 500 years, the church feels compelled to hold a giant rummage sale because the structures of institutionalized Christianity have become such an intolerable ectoskeleton that they must be shattered in order that renewal and new growth may occur. When I read that, I thought, well, that sure explains a lot. In fact, here are two things in particular. The first thing is to think of the Reformation as a 500-year, every 500-year rummage sale, means that the Reformation is not just historical, it's reoccurring. Maybe every 500 years. Put in that light, Luther wasn't so novel. He was just on the bubble. He was right on schedule. Do you remember what happened 500 years before? 1517. 
almost right to the year, it was the split of the church. It's called the Great Schism. It's when the church split into the Eastern Orthodox branch, using mainly the Greek language, and the Roman branch, using mostly the Latin language. 1054 was when the Great Schism happened. 500 years later is when the Protestant Reformation happened. And for you real church history geeks, look 500 years before 1054. You'll find there when the church councils were meeting between 300 and 700 CE. And so 500 would have been that number too. It's almost like from earth to the eternal, from the human to the holy, there's this sacred cycle of renewal and reform that God is up to every 500 years. So let's see if Bishop uh, uh, Mark Dyer is right. It is now 500 years, I mean right now in two days, when the Protestant Ref uh, Reformation has taken place. And from that I say, this is good news. We are living right now, this week, in one of those cycles that may not come again for 500 years. It means that God is especially at work in your life, my life, our church, the church, renewing, recycling, and reformatting. That's good news. But it's also bad news, difficult news, because it's like every 500 years, God seems to say, I've had enough with the church's myopic, tribal, echo chamber of siloed living. God is bad about blending everything together, changing everything around, nudging us out of our comfort zone, all the way from the Muslim who moved in next door to the fundamentalist who's down the street. It's like God knows that that Shema that we heard read from the gospel, that loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and neighbor as yourself, that takes a lot of practice. And we have to keep practicing it. Reformation makes us let go of what we think we have acquired, as in a culture-defined theology or a style guide to worship. Reformation as rummage sale. I like that, but it scares me. But it helps me name what I've been stammering around trying to say for a few years. It's one helpful window to look through. What it does for us that are always worried about how's the church going to be, it moves the conversation beyond our own navel-gazing, beyond our questions of how do we get young people to come into the church building. It transcends the debate of how to compete with other churches for our market share. Rather, this notion of the reoccurring Reformation points the finger at God. That God is calling the big shots. We're just a tidal pool in the big story. God is the big ocean. We have to lean on God even when God, God's renewing restlessness is at work. Now, that's not easy for a church institution to do, is it? 
But perhaps the church needs to do like, well, like the text last week, where God said, Moses, you go be still. You go get in the opening there, the crevice of the rock, and I'll pass by, but I'll cover your eyes. It's an act of grace, but you will sense that I am near. How do we who fret about the church find a place where we can let God pass by and sense that God is near and that all of our fretting won't be able to fix it, but God is bringing about something new? It's not easy to do, but I think we may be called on to do that. The Old Testament story that you heard right off the bat in worship is really a Reformation story. Almighty Moses, whom we've been reading about for weeks, has finally died. He dies in this text. That's the same Moses who would not let God sign God's resignation letter. Remember that? I've just had enough. I'm going to write these people off. I'm going to resign as being their God. And Moses says, give me that pen. You cannot check out of being God. You promised. It's Moses who talks God off the ledge. It's this Moses, the codependent leader, who for over four decades has been with these people as they have crossed the wilderness. And now he gets to the edge of the promised land and he dies. He dies there on Mount Nebo. And when he dies, all of the Hebrews that have been with him all these years have to go into recovery. Did you notice that? It was 30 days they grieved and cried and finally let go. And a new leader emerged named Joshua. The text, in a very intimate way, lets us stand shoulder to shoulder by Moses as he looks into the promised land. He stands on Mount Nebo with all of his past to his back and with all of the future ahead, but it is a future that he will not be entering. We get to look in his eye as he squints at seeing what could be, but where he cannot go himself. In other words, he's standing on the edge of the new Reformation. I love reading old uh, crusty Joseph Sittler, a Lutheran pastor and preacher. He taught at Lutheran uh, Seminary there in Chicago years ago. And one of his sermons is entitled, The View from Mount Nebo. And in that, he describes the common phenomenon that some of us have from time to time of where you can see a reality from afar, but you know that you can't get there from here. To see what can be and will be, but knowing that you will not be a part of that ultimate gift. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that's called being an Atlanta Braves fan. <laughs> Every year, is this the year? No, it's not the year yet. Moses was done, whether he was finished or not. But it turns out that God's story arc was larger than Moses' life. It's this text that Martin Luther King Jr. quotes the night before he was murdered. When he was there in Memphis for the garage or the garbage workers' strike, that he preaches the mountaintop sermon. I've been to the mountaintop. This one, this one. I've been to the mountaintop, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. 
And sure enough, he didn't. In fact, we are still not there, I don't think. We get closer maybe some years, but we backstep other years. But God has a strange way of relating to the past. God recycles it so that we who have eyes and ears to see and learn can learn from it. That's the first thing this thing is of Reformation as rummage sale tells me, that um, it reoccurs and we can learn from it as it goes along. The second thing is this, like a rummage sale, all values get reassigned and meanings change. We have a love-hate relationship with change, don't we? I guess all human beings do. We want change as long as it doesn't diminish my self-worth, my wealth, or my security, or that of my family and tribe. Yeah, I'm for change as long as uh, nothing changes. Don't you hate it when you have to have a garage sale and you take that masking tape and put a price on something that used to be so valuable to you? Yeah. You know, like, here comes the family tent that you took on all the campouts, you reared your kids, you parked, you parked and, 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 uh, and sat by many a stream. Oh, the, the memories that are with that tent and you're selling it for five dollars. A fellow walks up and says, I'll give you two. Okay, you can have it. Uh, but what are you going to use it for? And he says, well, I'm going to cut it up. I'm going to use a piece of it for the flooring of my new tent. Yeah. Or you bring out that piece of pottery, the one that when you were on pilgrimage in the Middle East, you had the artist sign. It sat on your shelves or desk for all these years, but you're downsizing now and you're ready to sell that piece of autographed pottery. You've got $2 as the price tag on it. And a person walks up and says, I'll give you 50 cents. And you go, okay. But by the way, what are you, what are you going to do with that? And she says, oh, the color scheme matches my bathroom. I'm going to use it for a toothbrush holder. Oh, the pain of how garage sales, rummage sales reassign value that we don't agree with. But on the other hand, sometimes things are repurposed and gain in value. My daughter has this knack. She can take an old window from an old dilapidated house with the paint chipping and the wood falling apart and being distressed. She can take that old window, hang it on an inside wall, use it as a picture frame to put pictures of my granddaughter in. And why that old, that old window ready for the junk heap gets repurposed. A value gets reassigned. It's worth more now than it was when it was on the junk pile. Jesus did this, you know. He would take old scriptures that covered in dust, like the gospel lesson today, hold them up like a prism through which the light of God is refracted, and you see it. Ah, to love the Lord your God, ah, it comes out in the hues of heart and mind and soul and neighbor. Wow. 
Reformation reassigns value. Now that can be a a tough pill for a church to swallow. I mean, we prefer the familiar to the uncertain, right? We don't uh, wish that things change, that they only act like they were, only more so. I mean, haven't most of our committee said we wish the techniques that worked in the 70s and 80s would work again? But they don't. It's like Moses on Mount Nebo. The terrain may look the same, but the time and the timing is different. It had been 40 years since they left Egypt. The people are different, and yea, verily, according to the text, God is different. God has grown with God's people. When Luther started banging on that door, as the story goes, placing the 95 Theses up, that banging was the big bang of the Reformation. And the shock waves went out, turning spectators into participants, and participants into priests. The priesthood of all believers, where it means more than just, I'll believe any darn thing I want to about God, to, as a priest, I'm responsible for the caregiving to others. I am responsible for being a part of a spiritual, sacred, caregiving community. It makes a difference. Those Bibles in the pews there wouldn't have had it without the Reformation. When communion is served by children and not just by clergy from behind the rail, thank the Reformation. For the social justice that hears the voices of the minority, not just the dominant voices of the privileged. Thank a reformer. But we can't be naive about this, can we? Reform comes with a price. It gets expensive. Reformations are never church growth programs. They are truth-telling movements. Kind of a fall in love with the Lord your God and let the chips fall where they may. It's kind of what we did last year when it seemed to me the Spirit moved us to declare a non-discrimination policy, especially when it comes to marriage. That is not a church growth program for Buckhead, especially in Buckhead, but it is a truth-telling, natural outcropping of the love of God with heart and soul and mind and neighbor. When Jesus quotes these words, they're from the Torah. And in particular, they're from the Shema, which is the word hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Loving, excuse me, loving begins with listening. In this Reformation that moves among us, I listen. I try to listen like when we laid Doc Clark to rest in Dahlonega just a few weeks ago and did so affirming her elegant faith. I think of next week when we'll have a parent-child church dedication for uh, Nora Mudd who was loved before the foundations of the earth. A Shema. Hear, O Israel. Listen up, people of God. God is speaking. 
The, the, the oddest place I've heard the Shema mentioned was in uh, James Lipton's The Actor Studio. Didn't you, you, any of you ever watch that? James Lipton, The Actor Studio. He would interview directors and actors and some of the most famous in the wor- world. He was sort of a, a bird-like looking fellow to me, kind of with a pointed beak. And he would perch on the limb of his desk and ask these questions of all these famous people. And so one day he was interviewing Steven Spielberg. And he would say, Steven Spielberg, what is the one characteristic of the world's greatest director? Spielberg, without hesitation, says, to be a good listener. James Lipton says, and where do you learn and did you learn to become a good listener? And Steven Spielberg, without hesitation, said this at my father's dining room table when twice a day we would say the Shema, hear, O Israel, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He said, it was taught to me from childhood that the most important thing I could do as a Jew was to listen. And so listen this week as the sound of the Reformation keeps on moving through us. The renewed recurring Reformation where God is still nailing new words on the door. You might even watch in your neighborhood to see if God is nailing, driving down a garage sale sign saying grace available for all. You might even listen to the sound of the beat of your own heart. Where Reformation begins. Amen. Is our tradition that when a word is said, an invitation to dedication is given. The invitation today comes through a hymn that is a prayer to God. Take my life and let it be. As we offer that prayer, we respond in faith. Let us stand together and sing.
Well, as we gather together, we bring our concerns and our news and our prayers. We have a new pinnacle out uh, this week that's available on the Narthex table. I encourage you to grab a copy. You can read about some of the things I'll be telling you about this morning. Um, but first and foremost, uh, there are some things that we can't wait 500 years for, and that's giving children candy. And we'll be doing that uh, later at our trunk or treat uh, here at 5 o'clock from 5 to 6.30 this evening at Northside Drive. We'll be having trunk or treat. So bring your, your cars, decorate your trunks, and bring candy. No nuts in the candy, please, for, for allergies concerns. And dress warmly. It's going to be a chilly evening, so make sure you wear layers tonight. Um, I would ask uh, those who are willing and able, if you could, after the worship service, to stay uh, and kind of gather in the narthex uh, for people who can help bring chairs and tables for the trunk or treat outside. I uh, need a few people for that. Next Sunday, um, on All Saints Sunday, after the worship service, we'll have a family missions day. So parents of children uh, remain after the worship service and join us in the fellowship hall for pizza, and we'll be packing uh, snacks for children in need, and that'll be Family Missions Day next Sunday. And then finally, on November 12th, there will be a Habitat for Humanity Luncheon 25th Anniversary. Uh, you've been hearing about that the last few weeks, and uh, we encourage you to attend. It's going to be a very special event. Uh, it'll be a free lunch provided, but we ask you to please uh, RSVP to the church office by November 9th. I ask you to do that, please. Um, we have prayer concerns, but before we get to those, I'd like to call upon Bruce Dick. Bruce, if you could make your way to the lectern. Bruce is our, uh, the chair of our finance committee here, and he brings a special, special message this morning on behalf of the finance committee. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Daniel. I am thankful. I'm thankful that James didn't ask me to do this in German. <laughs> it is that time of year again where we ask a small group of people what their plans are for our church and how much they think it will cost. And we ask a larger group of people, are they willing to pay for it? The Finance Committee has compiled a budget based on what the small group, our various committees, said they need, and I thank them for their assistance in getting us to this point. The Finance Committee compared the requests to budgets of previous years and actual expenses for the same periods. Most areas are consistent and relatively unchanged, with the exception of personnel. Personnel is not only a significant part of our annual expenses, has also undergone a number of changes. That being said, this year's challenge budget is $871,125, up slightly over previous years. Let me repeat that, $871,125. This proposed 2018 budget was submitted to the Church Council for their approval, which they did. The next step was to present the proposed budget to the Church and Conference for their approval. 
Don Johnny was instrumental in accomplishing that in my absence. And I thank Don for doing that. Let's leave it there. <laughs> Which brings us to the next step, pledging the budget. Some might think an old banker might be used to asking for money. The truth is, I always had collateral for leverage. And even then, it was dicey at times. Someone suggested that I mention tithing. I'm not comfortable with that. It limits your thinking. However, I will ask you to do two things. First, whatever your financial support might be, make your pledge sooner rather than later. Pledge cards are on the Northex table, and they will be mailed out tomorrow. For those that are impatient and can't wait until they get it in the mail, pick one up at the table on the way out. The faster we get a handle on what we can afford, the sooner we can make the proposed challenge budget a reality. Second, in arriving at what you can pledge, you will obviously consider what the church and its programs mean to you and why you're willing to financially support them. Share your feelings with others. Help them understand how important the various programs are to you and why they should feel the same way. As in many things, a small percentage carries the biggest load. We need to widen the base, cast a bigger net, share the need among a greater number of people. You can make a difference in more than one way. And now, since Daniel mentioned Trunk or Treat. I'd like to get ready for Trunk or Treat by telling you that I will be there and willing to accept your pledge <laughs> in exchange for candy. The larger the pledge, the more candy. Well, that is a tough act to follow, isn't it? <laughs> My uh, thanks and gratitude to Bruce. Thank you so much, Bruce, for the countless hours that you've given to the church in uh, helping uh, steward the budget process. And um, the, it's just a, an incredible amount of work. So we are grateful to you. Thank you, Bruce. Um, let's turn to our prayer concerns. Uh, we have a couple um, of things to report to you. Many of you may already know that our very own uh, Jerry Humphrey's uh, brother, Stanley Pear, passed away this week. So be in prayer for, for Jerry. Um, Stanley's uh, funeral and viewing will be tomorrow, and if you need details about that, feel free to ask me or Pastor James after the service. And then some very sad news. Um, one of our, our very own staff members, Aileen Jackson, who is one of our custodians who's worked for us um, for several months this year, passed away last Sunday. And uh, we're very sorry for that, to hear that shocking news. And we've been in prayer for her family since that time. And ask you to join in prayer for, that, for her family. 
Her funeral service will be at 5 p.m. in Marietta, and if you need details on that, the same uh, counsel to you. Please see me or James. So, um, our prayers stretch from the global concerns we have mentioned in weeks past, from Puerto Rico to Texas to Florida, the victims of Las Vegas who are still struggling to understand what's happened to them and to our very own. And so let's bundle them up, bring them to God, as we continue the worship of God with the giving of our tithes and offerings. loving God, we give thanks for your love that has picked us out of the garage sale and said, this one is worth redeeming. We respond by gratitude in tithes and offerings to be used in the realm of your love this week. 
We give thanks that you've included us in your story. It's an old story of Jesus and his love, and we love to tell it and will through our lives all week long. In Christ's name, amen. It's a story worth telling, isn't it?
Reverend Posey Starkey. And as we prepare to go, remember this. May the strength of Christ uplift you, the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you, and the grace and mercy of God give you hope and give you courage this day and every day as we prepare to go in peace. Amen.